I'm Lindsay Gensel, and this is Let's Be Honest. People can't defeat depression and anxiety. They merely learn to manage it. Those words belong to Patrick Donnelly. Patrick's a friend of mine. We met through Twitter in 2010, maybe 2011. I had just started working at a company he was leaving, ironically enough. And over the years, we've become great friends. He's always been one of my biggest cheerleaders. In April, Patrick published a piece on his personal Facebook page that made its way over to the Star Tribune. Why men like me should talk openly about depression. According to NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, nearly 44 million American adults experience mental illness in a given year. But when we look at getting help, nearly 60% did not receive mental health services. Coming from someone who's dealing with their own mental health illness, that's terrifying. The statistics are getting better, both for treatment and breaking the stigma, but we have so far to go. Patrick and I sat down over beers on a gorgeous summer evening to just talk. This is how the night went. You've been very honest about your own mental health journey. Take me back to the first moment, if you've identified it, of when you realized what you were feeling was not considered normal. It's probably like 18 months after my oldest daughter was born. So it would have been roughly the end of 1999, early 2000. And I think I dealt with my mental health in the past by working out and keeping it at bay that way. But when she was born, a whole bunch of things conspired to basically keep me from going to the gym. And I think that's when things started to spiral. And I was just always in a crappy mood. I was always worried. I was... Anxiety was a constant companion. And um, it was to the point where my wife said, you need to talk to somebody about this because what we're doing here, this isn't working. So, yeah, it's been, oh, I'd say close to 20 years now. It's always tough when another person notices it because I think for a lot of people that deal with depression and anxiety, more so on the side of anxiety, I think, I think you think you can hide it well. You come up with so many different coping mechanisms, ways to mm, shield it from other people. So to have someone as close to you as your wife say, hey, something's up, it must have been a swift kick in the you-know-what. Yeah, it, it wasn't to the point where she said, get help or I'm out of here, but that was lingering in the back of my mind. <laughs> so it, 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 there was no ultimatum, but it certainly did. Yeah, it was a wake-up call. So I went and saw somebody and just did some talk therapy for four or five sessions. He gave me some stuff to read and some, you know, maybe exercises to do, but it didn't stick. You know, it didn't stick. And so it would have been probably the following fall was when I went to uh, my general practitioner and told him what was going on and he, uh, he prescribed Zoloft. And that was a life changer for me. To the point where I felt so good that I didn't do any more talk therapy for a long time. Um, eventually, I've come to strike a good balance between playing the right meds and talk therapy and a bunch of other things too. But um, yeah, for a while it was just going on the meds uh, that really helped me out. But eventually, um, it became... It became, um, I got the sense that I was just treating the symptom and not actually addressing the root cause of it. So 
which is great because sometimes you need to treat the symptoms first. It's like if you're if you have a broken leg and it's a compound fracture, you got to stop the bleeding first. So deal with that, and then we'll deal with setting the bone and learning how to walk again later. So we stop the bleeding, and then later on, much later on, but eventually did get to work at figuring out what was going on inside that beautiful brain of mine. What do you think it is? I think depression and anxiety. I think it's, uh, I think there's a chemical imbalance. And I also think there's, you know, there's some nature versus nurture stuff. And I'm sure that there's some social cues and things that I've missed out on or, or experienced differently than others that may have just messed with my mind enough to, I don't know. I It's a great question. I've thought about it. And I mean, I can't point to like any one thing in my childhood that I said, well, that did it for me. It's not like I had any real traumatic events or anything. I don't think that causes chemical depression. It just doesn't. Um, so I think I dealt with it all. I do think I was dealing with it a lot as a kid because I worried a lot. I worried about everything when I was a little kid. And I never talked to anyone about it because I thought that was normal. So I've been dealing with it my whole life. But yeah, so that's why I think it probably is. There's definitely something chemical to it. You know, beyond that, who knows why I've been so lucky to be gifted this wonderful disease. It's interesting that you mention you've dealt with it your entire life because some of my earliest memories of anxiety relate back to moments of shame from my very early childhood. Like one of the earliest memories I have is first grade. My next door neighbor and I had never been in the same class. So the only time we saw each other was in the hallway and she was at recess and I thought I'm gonna hide in her locker and I'm gonna scare her. You know, I'm in first grade. You think this is a great idea. And I got caught and Mrs. Fadden yelled at me. And to this day, I still feel shame and anxiety over that moment of getting called out. And it wasn't in a way that was Lindsay, you're being bad. It was, Lindsay, this is something that's very dangerous. If you got locked in here, you could die. But you heard, Lindsay, you're being bad. Yeah, not living up to the expectations of others is um, a real traumatic experience for some of us. And yeah, I was the same way. I was, a, I was, I always am still, I think, a, a people pleaser. I try, I always want people to be happy with me. I always want to do whatever I can to put other people at ease or to make them think that, you know, I've done well for them. So like disappointing my parents was all the incentive I needed to uh, get good grades, to stay out of trouble in high school, all that. Cause I knew that if I, if I did something wrong, if I screwed up, it would, they would be very disappointed in me. And the few times that I did screw up and they were disappointed in me in that, yeah, that's pretty shaming. That's that. Some of those feelings do stick with you. I noticed earlier when you mentioned Zoloft, you looked down at the tattoo on your arm. Did I? You did. Well, that would be a tell. Explain. The tattoo is a lyric from Jason Isbell's song. I thought that I was running to what I was running from. And it, to me, it's, it's a reminder that my instincts aren't always the best when it comes to self-care, for example. So if I think X is going to make me happy, it's probably Y. (laughs) It probably really is. So I need to think a little bit harder about some of the decisions that I make. And, you know, we all engage in self-destructive behavior at times. And Isbell, for God, 
God knows he did it. I'm surprised he made it through it. As much of a, a drug and alcohol problem as he had, and to see the way he's come out of that and the band that he's become and the artist that he is, um, to me that's inspirational. And that shows that even at their very, very lowest can recover and, and rebound. So try not to get down there. <laughs> but even if you do and you're feeling your worst, it can get better. So I guess, yeah, I guess it's twofold. It's one to remind me of his story and two to remind me that I should take care of myself. Right, yeah. That's true. Although, I don't feel like I'm ever, like, when you're, I suppose, you know, alcoholics will say you're never really, rec you're in recovery. You haven't beaten it. It's one day at a time, etc. But you at least have, there's a conscious, or a conscious decision and a difference in your life in that you were using and now you're not. So... You're still living with alcoholism, but you're not living with the alcohol. But for depression and anxiety, you can't just walk away from it. You can't just quit being depressed cold turkey. It's with you constantly. So, um, yeah, so I don't ever feel like I'm going to be recovered. I'm never going to beat this. You know, to me, recovery from this is all about awareness and just acknowledging that you have it and being able to... Give yourself the grace to deal with it and even to not deal with it sometimes. You know, when you have a bad day, don't beat yourself up about it. Don't go to that dark place because it's not new. It's not going to be helpful. And it's not your fault. It's not your fault. We talk about the shaming thing, you know. Should I feel ashamed that I have this chemical imbalance? I don't think so. I mean, it wasn't anything I did to bring on myself. Um... So, to me, it's all about understanding that this is something I'll be dealing with the rest of my life, and then how do I get there? Some days, just getting out of bed is a victory. Other days, the victory comes in being really super focused and productive at work, or being an attentive and caring husband and father, or getting a lot of stuff done around the house. You know, that's a victory. But... That it's okay that there are also days when just getting out of bed is the victory. I won't lie. I'll use the cliche when you bared your soul and were very open and honest and upfront about your own struggles. I was legitimately surprised. And I don't know if it's because I know you and I know how happy-go-lucky you are and committed to your family and to your career or that I felt a connection to the idea that you were really good at hiding it. And I kind of feel the same way in the sense of, I don't want to use this analogy, but it's the easiest one. When you see a drug addict, and they look like a drug addict, and it's that cliched image in our mind of what a drug addict is supposed to look like. Strung out and grubby. Exactly. It's the picture in every magazine and every TV show. When I think of all of my failures, a lot of which have come from depression and anxiety and choosing to not deal with things and hiding from them. I, I think, I don't know if people would actually know that that was going on, that I've put on this front that I've been able to trick everyone. So you, you wrote this beautiful piece, you were very candid, and you put it out there for people to read. What were some of those initial responses like and, and how hard was that to take in? It was overwhelming. In a good way, though. I mean, the responses from people I knew were 100% positive. Um, 
I started out by putting on on Facebook. And within, literally within five minutes of posting it, I was getting direct messages on Facebook. I was getting texts on my phone. And then, of course, people commenting and liking it. And it was very rewarding to know that it was, you know, that people related to it. Um, It's interesting that you say that I hit it well. I suppose that's because in public, you know, I try to be positive and, and like it's the people pleasing part of you again so um i guess i did hear that from people that they're so they never would have guessed but i also heard from a lot of people saying wow it sounded like you're telling my story and uh it's it's weird that so many of us have this thing and it's so common and yet it's just taboo to not you know to talk about so i guess that's one of the reasons i threw that out there and i just got fed up with it being something that we had to bury and decided I'm not ashamed of this so I've been working on not being ashamed and work working on you know being okay with the fact that this happened to me or that I have this and sometimes you just gotta take a flying leap into the deep end you know and that's kind of what I did I just like all right I don't even think I thought about it I just banged it out in 20 minutes read through it once to make sure I didn't have any typos and threw it out there and it's probably the most rewarding thing I've ever done as a writer. I got a DM from someone who follows me on Twitter the other day asking me why I'm so honest on social media. And the immediate response from me was similar to your experience. I've been helped by other people being honest, and I've learned so much about myself from other people being honest. And with my story, if one person can relate to it, it's worth it. And I think we're so quick to jump to the idea that this is taboo, we're not supposed to talk about it. It's like money. No one talks about money. You don't talk about what happens. Well, sometimes life sucks, and it's okay to not be okay. (laughs) I cried on the way over here. Not because I was hanging out with you, because there's stuff going on in my life that I'm not okay with. And I was talking to someone about it who makes me emotional, It was my mom. And it's that feeling of acknowledging that you're not okay. Yeah, it's it's freeing in a lot of ways, you know? It's like, oh, I don't have to keep hiding this anymore. Um, And it's helped me. I mean, at my job, I was very honest with um, my coworker, a few of my, like my supervisor and my boss, the company owner, I was really honest with them beforehand about what I was dealing with. And they were surprised. This is before I put anything out there publicly, but I had one-on-one conversations with a couple people there, and they were very surprised. And I now feel like, okay, if I'm having a bad day, they know that this is probably what it's about. It's not that I'm a loser and they should probably fire me. <laughs> and that actually keeps the lows from getting too low, and it helps me rebound again. So, I don't know, I think... They say sunlight's the best disinfectant, and in some ways, I think that applies here. Just get the info out there and let people know what you're dealing with, and if they can't handle it, see ya. Yeah, and I've had very little negative reaction. There was a couple of strangers on the, well, so those of you listening who haven't read it, my Facebook post, I turned into an essay that the Star Tribune published about three months later. And there were maybe like three negative comments on the whole, out of all the, I don't know, 60 or 70 comments on the, on the Strip article. 
you know, guy going, ah, oh, suck it up, you know, buttercup. Suck it up, buttercup. Yeah, basically, say, yeah, right? you know, another snowflake. Uh, and immediately, like, three people rushed to my defense, which is fine and great. And if we're ever going to worry about what Star Tribune commenters say about you, <laughs> you got, there's bigger fish to fry. So, um, but yeah, nobody's, nobody's been, uh, like distancing themselves from me uh on the contrary i've had people reach out to me who i didn't know and people i do know asking for advice assistance we're just saying hey i'm here for you if you need anything um even you know one of my closest friends told me he's dealing with some similar stuff and those we'd never talked about so it kind of added a new layer to our friendship which is great let's talk about the social stigmas because you mentioned it a little bit in the comments suck it up buttercup it's one thing if me Lindsay, a woman comes out and talks about my feelings it's a whole other ball game when you as a man with all of the social pressures of what you are supposed to be that you come out and say hey this is what's happening what was that like for you was there any shame involved any fear that might have been holding me back at, uh, originally you know i just came around to the idea that what does an alpha male do an alpha male knows what he needs and goes and gets it i need help i went and got it you know you don't doesn't mean you have to do everything on your own by yourself it means you know, you know who you are, and you know what your needs are, and you go find ways to get them addressed. So to me, I think getting help when you need it is, is one of the most, I don't even say manly, it's one of the most adult things you can do. It shows that you are in charge of your life. So, yeah, there was probably that stigma, and I always felt it growing up like, I don't know, I was in Boy Scouts, and I, I hated it. I've never been much of an outdoorsman to begin with, and then there were just plenty of guys who... You know, if if you didn't paddle a canoe right or if you, whatever, any silly little thing around Boy Scout camp, if you didn't do it just perfectly, they would laugh at you and ridicule you and call you a pussy and whatever. And I just, I don't know, I probably internalized some of that and said, all right, well, that's the kind of person I am and that's, you know, that's not what a real man is. And yeah, then you get the societal, the messages from advertising and everything else. And yeah, it does, it starts to add up. And being an adult means you point yourself in the direction where that doesn't bother you anymore. And that's what I wound up doing finally. I just said, you know, screw it. That's not me. That's not real. And a real man goes out and gets the help he needs. So It's one thing to be open and honest with your spouse or your partner. But tell me a little bit about the conversations that you had with your daughters. So they were like 18 and six, 18 and 12 when I put this out there, I guess. It was a year and a half ago. Um, and I've talked to them, I had talked to them before that, each of them. And um, I remember distinctly talking to my older daughter about it and the whole, we had the conversation about sunlight is the best disinfectant. And, I still remember where we were when I said that to her, and she got it. And I think, you know, she, both of them have been super supportive along the way. Um, I think one of the reasons I really wanted to be honest and open with them is because I wanted to set an example. And I wanted, you know, to show them 
that it's okay if they have problems that they need help that they can go get it they don't have to go through this life alone and deal with their problems on their own so to me that was one one reason that was really important to be open and honest about it I think it was also just I felt like I needed to explain to them why there are days when dad's not doing so great and you know, maybe give dad a little space or it's okay if dad needs to go take a nap or needs to go for a walk and they get it. They're, they've been great. Besides the medication and the therapy, are there any other specific coping mechanisms you've come to find? I know you mentioned that for so many years you were able to keep this at bay, that you were able to keep it under the waterline with exercise. What does it look like for you on a day-to-day basis now? What is it like when you feel those moments coming on and you want to get ahead of it? Sleep is important to me. I've always had a really messed up relationship with sleep. Um, Going back to high school, I used to keep a journal in high school, and I found them recently. They're in a box in our basement. I was flipping through them and looking at the time. I would always like timestamp my entries. And this is my senior year of high school during on a school night, and they'd be like at two a.m. and I'd be writing in my journal because I worked at the newspaper um, in my hometown covering sports, and that all happens at night. And then you know we'd usually stay until midnight and we put the paper out. And Letterman was on at midnight back then in the old days <clears throat> on NBC. Yeah, in the 80s. And so I, I watched Letterman dang near every night when I was in high school. So that means I stay up till 1 a.m. at least. And then I'd you know, have to get up and go to school by 8. So if I was up till like 3 a.m. writing or doing homework or whatever, I'd get like three or four hours of sleep. And it just, it screwed me up royally. I think that actually is something that if I had had a better relationship with sleep when I was younger, maybe it wouldn't have, this depression wouldn't have maybe be as strong I don't know it's hard to say it's like when I went to college and at the U I took a job as a night manager at one of the dorms which meant one night a week I'd stay up all night and then that screws with your sleep the rest of the week and ever since I've just I've been I claim that I'm a night person but really it's just that I like sleeping in because (laughs) I just can't get out of bed so sleep is important Sleep is very important when I'm really starting to, to crash. Exercise is good. Um, God, I've, I haven't found anything beyond walking and some light weightlifting that I've, you know, really enjoyed and gotten into. Um, my wife and I did P90X for about 45 days. <laughs> so P90 or P45X. <laughs> And that was kind of cool. It was a fun bonding experience, actually. The two of us getting up at 5.30 in the morning and doing it together. Getting out of your comfort zone. Exactly. Exactly. And then, you know, I just didn't go back to it. And this is stupid. So I've got the DVDs. I can go back to it at any time. Um, it's a matter of just doing it. I started a, I started this uh, there's this community, online community called Step Bet or Diet Bet. There are two of them. Have you heard of this? Uh-huh. So I, did a, I just started a Step Bet yesterday. So you get... Uh, six days a week you have to hit your step goals and they give you four days of a like a regular goal and two days of stretch goal and you have to get all six in a week so it means you get one day off and everyone who makes it through to the end of the five weeks you split the entry fees of everyone who doesn't make it through 
So I just started one yesterday. Um, I'm on day two, and I've already hit my goal for today, so that's good. Uh, in between, well, I came from therapy to here, which is great. So in between therapy and, and so meeting. So you came from therapy, and I came from crying in my car, which is So it was good for both, actually. <laughs> yes. Um, you came from talking to your mom. That's, that's its own form of therapy. Yes. Um, yeah, so in between therapy and meeting you, I, you know, I had 40 minutes to kill. I could have gone to a bar and had a beer, which there are times in my life when I would have. Instead, I walked for 40 minutes, and... Got all my steps in and got a little exercise, and that's good. And it's very good for my mental health. So, yeah, exercise is something, but definitely sleep is a big one for me. A big part of my anxiety is my own doing. It's because I take on too much. And I think a part of that is a bad coping mechanism. I think if I just fill my life with so much stuff that all the other things will just dissipate like magic you know poof and they're gone which is the exact opposite I actually end up just getting more stressed out and more upset so I'm learning to say no to things even things like social engagements um I hate say I'm going to be somewhere and then not going and yet at the same time if I'm dreading going then that's a sign that I probably need a little me time. It's the healthiest thing to do, though, for everyone to just say, I'm not going to go. Unless you're at the point where you say it to everything, right? Which, that's not me. I mean, I thrive on human connection. But there are times when it's just, that's not what I need. And that what I need is a quiet night with my wife and Netflix or, uh, you know, or a glass of wine and an early night's sleep, things like that. That's perfectly fine, too. Um, so yeah, learning to know when that's the right decision is, I mean, Christ, I'm almost 50 years old. Oh, I don't know, 49. And Coming up. It is. I'll have a party in December. Be yeah, ready. I will. Add right. to the calendar. All right. Uh, you know, you'd think I'd have figured some of this stuff out by now at this ripe old age, but no, um, Beauty, that's the beauty of life. You're always learning. I've had two experiences with therapy. One was when I was in an incredibly bad job situation, and my mom forced me to go. I didn't want to. I, I really had no interest. Everything that I thought I knew about therapy was nothing that I wanted to be a part of. And it was one of those situations where I just went in and cried a lot. And she would tell me that I was right. My second form of therapy, which is the woman that I'm seeing now, who I love, is the exact opposite. It's like, yes, you can be upset, you can be sad, but how are we going to fix it? I don't want to say that my first therapist was allowing me to be the victim, but there was never really a plan put in place on how to make things better. Whereas when I go in now, all we do is make plans. So I, I go to therapy, and this woman, metaphorically, kicks my butt every week in, like, the best way possible. And I keep coming back because it's actually changing things. So the first time I went to see somebody back in the late 90s was some dotty old woman from Health Partners who, I'm sure she's great, but it wasn't for me. And she told me I needed to walk around the lake more and take St. John's Wort, which actually could have worked probably because I was telling her that I didn't have, you know, that exercise, I hadn't been able to exercise. And she's like, well, put that baby in a stroller and walk around your lake. And I'm like, well, that's great, except, wait a minute, maybe I should have. But I knew too much, so I didn't go back to her. Then had the one that the guy that I went to for five times I mentioned earlier, and he was fine. Then we moved to Las Vegas in 05, and I found a good therapist out there. Um, 
we really connected for about four months. Then insurance changed and we couldn't continue. And I never did. My greatest fear. It is. It sucks. And I never did find another decent one. So I stopped going. We moved back here in 09. And during that job that was very, that you know all about from the company where we worked, I should have been. Don't go look at LinkedIn anyone. Yeah, don't, please. (laughs) I might have. I might have been able to survive that a little better if I had been in therapy, and yet I wasn't. And um, after I left there, it was about six months after I left there that I found, I decided I needed to revisit this, and I found the therapist who I'm still seeing today. So it's been it's been six and a half years we've been together, and she sounds to me like kind of a cross between the two therapists you've seen. She's not real big on like, well, here's a goal and you need to do this. And the next time I see you, come back and report. She is pretty big on letting me sort of giving me space to figure out what the issues are and what I need. To the point where there have been times where I'm like, why am I even going here? Because, you know, there's no action plan. And... I'm not getting any better, am I? And then one day I'll be like, aha. <laughs> like, yeah. So she's very subtle and, 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 and um, like I said, she gives me space to figure stuff out on my own, which is very helpful. Um, so that's been great. And then uh, a year and a half, two, almost two years ago, a year and a half ago, I started going to this men's group, Face It faceitfoundation.org everybody and it's faceitfoundation.org and it is fantastic um it's guys they get together you get together uh, once every two weeks you're in a group of eight to ten guys and a and a facilitator and you meet for two hours and you talk about your issues and you provide support for each other and it really helps you understand that you're not alone and it's been wonderful in fact, I started going there, and I think my group, when we formed, we were the fourth group, maybe. And then, like, five months later, four months later is when my piece in the Star Trip ran. And they said the phones just blew up, because I mentioned it in the article. Just mentioned it. Didn't even really, like, go full on with the pitch, the hard sell. But just mentioned it. And within, within a year... I think they're up to over, well, they're like up to 12 groups maybe. I think we're up to 15 now. We've got groups in, we've got a couple groups in Northfield. Um, we've got a group just for veterans. We've got groups that meet during the day for retirees. And most of us, you know, the main groups just meet at night or the oldest groups, the longest going groups, we meet at night. My group is every other Thursday. But yeah, this thing has exploded there have been guys who come up to me and when like we have we have like big gatherings too we have a big breakfast once a month things like that there have been guys who come up to me and said oh yeah you saw my name tag like oh you're the reason i'm here like that's awesome yeah that's really cool that's amazing that is it's really cool to know there's a guy in my group who who says that to me from time to time he's like the only reason i'm here is because i saw your article and how did you find out about it they were on Breaking the News with uh, Rena and Jana on Channel 11. The two founders, Mark and Bill, um, they were on in October 2016. It was one night. I 
I'm sorry, Janet and Rena, if you're listening, but I really don't watch the show that often. <laughs> but I have, this is why it's serendipitous. I happen to be watching that night. I like it when it's on. I like it when I catch it, but I just don't watch a lot of live TV. But I happen to be watching it. I, I will watch it when our friend Dana Wessel's on. Beyond that. <laughs> so <laughs> um, many stipulations. It is, yeah. But I happen to be watching that night, and they're telling their stories about... Um, well, Mark's story is especially moving. He had reached, he had like reached the point where he literally had a gun and the shotgun in his mouth and his kid, one of his four kids in the house that night, they're all in bed, woke up and needed something. And this kid is a heavy sleeper, he said normally. And the kid woke up and cried and needed something and he realized, like, what the hell? And that, I me, mean, I know. So he helped the kid out and then he called his wife and said, I need help. And, and, and he's an amazing, amazing guy. So seeing those two guys telling their stories and seeing the support that that was out there, it just kind of clicked. It's like, they're guys with depression. I'm a guy, and I've got depression. Hmm. Maybe I should explore this. It still took a couple more months. Um, but finally, when I did uh, reach out to them, they call like I emailed. They have a, like an email form on the website. I emailed it, and within like a day, I got a call from Mark, and we talked for like forty-five minutes. And that's apparently par, par for the course with this guy. He just is a giver, and he has so much time for everybody. And but how important to note that at one point in his life he wasn't. Absolutely, I know. To to know that you can dig yourself out of those depths is really inspiring. So. Um, so that's how I found out about him through breaking the news. And then it was like two months later, I just decided to act on it. Last question. And I'm going to put you on the spot with this one. As an American who's dealt with their own mental health crisis, what are some of the things that you think about when you think of how this country handles it? I think it's getting better. So I feel, um, I feel a sense of hope. I do think that the stigma for everyone is going away, not just for men. I think the stigma in general is, is lessening. More people are getting the help that they need. Um, I still want to see more insurance plans do more with covering it or, you know, God forbid we go to single payer at some point and everything would be covered because this is something that is as necessary as chemotherapy and emergency room visits to heal a broken bone or whatever. I mean, it's, this is vital. This is life and death stuff. So I really want to see more than what's happening right now, but I am feeling positive that we're going the right direction. Sunlight is the best disinfectant. I had never heard that before my conversation with Patrick, but over the last few days, I've tried adding it into my everyday rotation because it's true. Honesty can be hard, intimidating, even stressful, but getting it out is so worth it, and Patrick is proof of that. He ended his Star Tribune piece with this. I've realized I can't wait for tomorrow. My words can help someone today. If you haven't read it, Google Patrick Donnelly Star Tribune. It's the first result. Read it. Share it. Open up the dialogue, whether it's about yourself or someone you care about. When my family was dealing with my father and his own mental illness, I was always disappointed by those who didn't or couldn't reach out to us. If he had been battling cancer, there would have been a line around the block of people offering casseroles, comfort. But because he was an alcoholic with a mental illness, there was rarely anyone there. And it was hard. We have the power to change that, to stop the stigma. And I